we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Well, one of the telltale signs that I seen just a couple of days ago here was out of Canada. And, you know, Canada was one of the uh, most challenging areas, uh, amongst others, though, for a locking down. You remember the trucker strike, all of that, the mask mandates, the vaccine mandates, pushing everybody. And I started to see some of the news bulletins, uh, which was like eye opening. Uh, Canada to drop vaccine mandate, mask requirements for professional athletes, even. Canada dropping travel mask mandate and ending COVID-19 border and quarantine restrictions. And uh, Ottawa to drop remaining COVID-19 vaccine mask mandates starting October 1st. So this I thought was pretty big and interesting news. Uh, yeah, and then you see just what, about a week uh, just plus ago here, uh, President Biden said the pandemic is over. What does that mean? That's the questions. And that's where we'll start the program today, friends. Welcome in to America Out Loud Pulse. It is Malcolm Out Loud here with my co-host. Dr. Peter McCullough. So you see all these news reports now, uh, Dr. McCullough, uh, with Canada. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen this. This was a bit of a shocker to me, but uh, what is, what, what's, the, what's the indication of all that? You know, it's the same virus. It's the same pandemic all over the world. And the rates are roughly the same everywhere. But the, the disparate nature of the mandates, the relinquishing of mandates, um, booster vaccinations, the heterogeneity tells you that something is off. Something doesn't make sense. Why would Canada go full bore and then suddenly reverse their, uh, their stance on this? None of it makes sense. Yeah, and that's what I question here, because there was no room to move there. I remember interviewing multiple truck, truckers, remember when the strike was happening, you know, and there was a pushback on that level. And I, and I just remember there was like, you know, no uh, um, freedom at all. And things were, I, I think, am I right to say, was that one of the most, uh, with all the markets, and we know Australia got hit hard, our friends in Australia, but I think Canada was probably potentially one of the most depressed markets when it comes to this uh, forum. Am, am I right with that? Or? It certainly was. I mean, I think I put China number one. You know, China had, uh, you know, had this COVID zero <clears throat> policy, which just can't be applied to something that is so contagious and, and like a common cold. But uh, Canada and Australia, and it's almost as if the former British Empire, which was uh, completely against early treatment, uh, wanted a an approach that uh, was a draconian, the lockdowns, the vaccine mandates, uh, and then the passports. And going full bore on this, and what we saw was first Boris Johnson at the UK fall out of power. Quickly, the UK drops everything. And then uh, Canada, back and forth, back and forth, drops everything. Isn't it interesting that the countries that went the hardest on mandates and vaccination drop everything? Uh, you know, I put Israel up there first as well. What we're seeing across the world doesn't make sense. And, you know, it's not even, as you just made that mention, what you just said actually was very interesting to me because it's not even left and right politics. In other words, with Boris Johnson in the UK, your point is very strong there. In fact, I have to share with you, I don't know if you recognize this or seen this as well, but I had friends out of the UK over the period of months and time here through COVID asking me, 
why the it's funny because they were saying, well, why are conservatives so for all this mandating? It was hysterical to me. They were asking me this question, actually, uh, from a political sense, you know, like because everything was so political and still is. Why are conservatives so supportive of, you know, vaccines and masks? And I said, what are you talking about? Oh, this was out of the UK where Boris Johnson and his administration was uh really uh, uh, stifling any freedom again and really upsettling. Uh, Things were really unsettled in the UK, as you know. So this kind of crossed political boundaries. I mean, that's kind of an interesting point. It was both left and right, wasn't it, uh, Peter? You know, it it did. You know, some things, you know, one of the things that people have pointed out in the United States Mm. that, again, is so antithetical is uh, the left my body, my choice, <laughs> except get on your knees and take a vaccine. I mean, I mean, these types of things, Malcolm, I think historians will be scratching their heads writing about this for years to come. Now, is all of this happening now where they're now turning the corner on this? Does, does this mean, I mean, for real, for what you're sensing out there, does this mean any sort of admittance, any sort of, uh, I mean, you're not certainly hearing any apologies for sure, but that would be really quite something and be all kinds of lawsuits as well. And there probably will still be a lot of lawsuits. You're starting to probably see some of that now, in fact. But what is this just a declarative statement to put out for public consumption? Like, okay, we're going to relax all the rules now, or is there any... A recourse or follow up, and you do you do you sense with all of this? So far, no apologies. Um, but I can tell you, there is a real um, trend and a cadence for more papers being published in the literature saying to pull the vaccines off the market. The medical literature, the first one came out by Bruno and myself and fifty-seven authors in twenty twenty-one, and then in twenty twenty-two, we had a series of statements from the World Council for Health. Uh, We just uh, had one by Turney and colleagues from Australia that basically say they're not safe. And then this week, what hit is Dr. Asim Malhotra, leading cardiologist in the UK. His father was a very high standing physician in the UK who's passed away recently. Uh, Malhotra, who I featured on the McCullough Report just a few weeks ago, bombshell, two papers, part one and part two, a complete expose in the peer-reviewed literature about vaccine safety. The only conclusion is pull them off the market. So I think with these papers coming out, the governments are seeing the writing on the wall. The safety story cannot be concealed forever. It's in the peer-reviewed literature now, which is forever. Right. And I think what they're just doing is saying, listen, we're gonna we're just gonna go ahead and drop these mandates and start heading for the hills. Now, here's the last missing piece of this whole equation. Now, I, I like what you just say because I think it's accurate. But here's the here's I think the missing pieces I'm wondering, and I'm I'm just thinking about a lot of the questions that we're still getting in routinely from folks. So back to corporate America and back to organizations of all kinds uh, that still are mandating things, which is I mean mind blowing really that people are still because you know from the questions I'm sure there'll be some today probably in the mix. I don't really know all the questions, but I mean people are always in these positions. Where does that go now? In other words, does this all follow suit? Or because there's a lot of people that it's like a pariah society of all these people playing, you know, uh, uh, chief or something, thinking they can control people's lives and mandating this to people. And I, I, does this all follow suit? Do you think, or does it break down? I, I'm really not sure. It's so hard to know. We've just had a series of destabilizing things in our country. Me too. Black Lives Matter. COVID-19, the illness, COVID-19, the vaccine catastrophe, now 
gender um, ambiguity. It's just, it seems to be one thing after another. We have an impending energy shortage in Europe this, uh, this winter. People are talking about constrained food supplies. Uh, there's something going on, Malcolm, where this world is definitely not stable. No, it's not. All the things you just talked about have all been topics I've been talking about uh, on the Voice of a Nation. In fact, uh, Peter, all these things, uh, the energy calamities, the collapse, they're expected millions of people to potentially die in Europe. That would surpass the COVID if that's the case. But that's a whole political conversation. But it's a real conversation that is happening, to be sure. All right. So, we're going to see now what happens with corporations and organizations if they follow suit, if things start to relax and if people can get on with their lives. But, you know, another time we'll come back and address. But, you know, I talk about damage control. You know, you kind of can't forgive and forget some of this stuff. I mean, this lives were people died. People died. I mean, call it whatever you want. Uh, but people lost their lives and families and friends. And so, I mean, they were destroyed. So there's got to be something that comes from all of this. I don't know what it is, but I don't know that we can just move forward as a society, quite frankly, without finding some answers to these problems. It sickens me that that this happened and we're still dealing with the, the ramifications of this or the remnants of it as well. Um, all right. Before we get on to the Q&A and all the questions, we got some really good ones here. Um, this other story uh, what is this all about? And this is kind of a little suspicious to me uh, because I remember some of the prior questions from people that have asked these kinds of things, Dr. McCullough, and that is the mRNA uh, being found in breast milk. Uh, let's talk about this and what that really means in your estimation or the implications of that. Yeah, this one was, uh, for lack of a better adjective, this one was nauseating, just came out yesterday, September 6th as a research letter in the JAMA Network Pediatrics. First author is Hannah from uh, New York University uh, Langone Medical Center, titled the paper, Detection of Messenger RNA COVID-19 Vaccines in Human Breast Milk. Now, uh, keep in mind that, uh, that Nancy Lapid, uh, in uh, a release uh, in Reuters, July 19th, 2021, so just about... 13 months ago, title of her paper, no trace of messenger RNA vaccine found in breast milk. Uh, you, you, you know, this, uh, this false narrative put out by Reuters, it was just, again, a false talking point without any data. Now NYU finds messenger RNA in breast milk and five days after a, a breastfeeding woman took the vaccine, the FDA and the vaccine manufacturers agreed women should not take the vaccine when they're breastfeeding. That's the reason why they're excluded from randomized trials. Right. The consent form that's been pointed out to me that all the women signed said, we don't know if this gets into breast milk or not. This false paper came out in Reuters. It was just a false talking point by a reporter trying to make it sound like it didn't happen. And now indeed it's found. This raises a lot of issues. Uh, one is uh, if it's getting into breast milk, uh, in fact, it's getting into other uh, tissues. And um, we have a paper by Fertig, F-E-R-T-I-G, that was able to measure, measure the raw messenger RNA in blood for two weeks afterward in plasma. And uh, in this paper by Hannah in JAMA Network, 
I just want to read for the audience. You know, there's no substitute for just reading the paper. Uh, uh, listen to what they say here. It says, this is from the HANA paper. Little has been reported on lipid nanoparticle biodistribution and localization in human tissues after COVID-19 messenger RNA vaccination. In rats, up to three days following intramuscular administration, low vaccine messenger RNA levels were detected in the heart, the lung, the testes, and brain tissues, indicating tissue biodistribution. We speculate that following vaccine administration, lipid nanoparticles containing vaccine messenger RNA are carried to the mammary glands via hematogenous and or lymphatic routes. Honestly, Malcolm, this is horrendous. Uh, we have no idea if this is safe for the babies to be taking this in. If they're taking it in for your breast milk, some of it actually got it through, uh, spread through the uh, placenta if the uh, women were vaccinated during, uh, during a pregnancy. Uh, I think it's disturbing that the messenger RNA is not broken down with traditional uh, enzymes, RNAases that normally break it down. This stuff shouldn't be able to be transmitted through breast milk. We know with other vaccines that the antibodies are transmitted through breast milk, but we don't, breast milk doesn't transmit, you know, unsafe antigens or, or a material that we have no idea if it's safe or not. So this one was a sickening report. Uh, it gets back to uh, good clinical medical practice, good judgment by uh, mothers. Mothers should never take things into their body that have not been demonstrated to be safe. And this is one of them. Yeah. You remember uh, a lot of people that were questioning this. Remember a lot of listeners writing in on this point that you just say here, you know? Absolutely. You know, yeah. people have wondered for yeah. the longest time, is it yeah. in donated blood? Yeah. Is it in various secretions? And is it in breast milk? When I can tell you if it's in breast milk and they found it, Five days afterwards, I think all of the above. It's in, and this is not the spike protein yet. This is actually the genetic material. Yeah. And the fact that people are exuding genetic material that's foreign genetic code, it's, it's a sickening thought, Malcolm. Yeah, and this is some of the stuff we were so concerned with back, uh, very perplexed, actually, if I, as I recall, uh, over the last couple, two and a half years, that remember, this was a lot of the suspect that, nah, I mean, could it be? And yet we knew that all of this was potential but I think we were still trying to be optimistic or hopeful, but kind of hard to do that when you're seeing things like this, right? You know, that's true. And, you know, we have to hope that uh, yeah. it's innocuous. It's in the GI tract that the baby's, you know, nascent GI tract is able to manage it. Um, but everything we know about the messenger RNA is turning us 100% bad. Everything about the spike protein that's produced from this is 100% bad. There hasn't been a single cellulatory finding at this point in time, there's no side benefits of this stuff. And this always should have been left, uh, even as egregious as it is, this always, always should have been left to a personal decision that one should have made, Dr. McCullough. This should have been a personal decision if one wanted to try whatever, genetic, EUA, mask, whatever the crisis problem was. It was a personal decision. This should not have been forced, coerced, mandated, pushed, shoved, slammed onto any human being, yet it was done and actually still being done. Sick. Well, you know what? To follow on that, you know, one of the most brutal employers out there that just went all the way to the Supreme Court of Texas was Houston Methodist Hospital. They fired workers who would not take the vaccine. A lot of them were pregnant women, breastfeeding women. Uh, women had already had COVID. The vast majority of plaintiffs in that case were women. And you know what Houston Methodist is doing and now the boosters? Dropped them. 
He wow. dropped him. Wow. No, no, no exp- explanation, no apology, wow. no rehire. They just dropped it like a, you know, like a hot potato. So what do you make of that? I mean, it doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. If it was yeah. such an important problem yeah. that they fired people over this, wow. there's still COVID out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's changed? Yeah, yeah. What a, what an interesting uh, direction we've just went through here. Uh, I, I find this really uh, incredibly intriguing, uh, very um, disastrous, and uh, deeply, deeply, deeply concerning at the most human level possible. I mean, that's 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 what I'm saying. So we'll see. We'll see. But there's a lot to still happen on this. We don't know the half of it yet. And I, I think that's what we're most concerned with, probably. You know, uh, let's get on with a lot of the questions now from listeners. And this will take us on a kind of, you know, probably a lot of different roads. But it's always interesting to get what people are thinking. And this first one's from Yvonne. Uh, does the drug treatment you developed, uh, the monoclonal antibodies, the ivermectin, the Z-Pak, prednisone, the NAD drip, uh, vitamin drip, et cetera, still, is it still recommended if one were to test positive for COVID? I'm confused on how this treatment interacts with the variant mutations, this is you and everyone else, Yvonne, uh, that appear to be less critical to health. What is your recommendation for treatment, especially if testing positive, yet minor symptoms those first several days? I think the most important piece of information is is this the first case of COVID or is this somebody's second or third case? That's the most important point. If it's the first case of COVID and the person is elderly or has medical problems, it still can be severe. It still can be severe. Now, uh, we recently had an update from uh, Texas, uh, one of the health agencies saying they still have beptilivimab. Beptilivimab is the monoclonal antibody. It's a 2cc injection. Uh, it's a product by Lilly. It works against Omicron. So yes, monoclonal antibodies are still available, at least in, in Texas, probably around the country. And yes, the sequence multi-drug uh, therapy does work. Now, if a patient's been previously vaccinated, the drug that may not work so well is Paxlovid uh, or Paxlovid. There, there's a, the CDC has a health advisory out May 24th, 2022, saying that Paxlovid, given alone, can, can make the syndrome worse and last longer. There's rebound. So if someone's previously been vaccinated, I think the monoclonal antibodies, beptilivimab, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, or molnupiravir would be a good approach, and then the other drugs in combination. Now, if the case is a second or third case, someone said, oh yeah, I had COVID in 2020, and now this is my bona fide second case. The vast majority of second cases, Malcolm, can be treated just with over-the-counter remedies, including uh, the nasal virucidal washes, uh, the over-the-counter zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, and famotidine, uh, and they can get through the illness, uh, supplemental aspirin. Uh, so you know, it really depends on, is it the first case or is it now a following case? You know, I'm thinking, let me follow up something with you. And I, I, I'm not sure you know this, you have the answer, but you might. And let me just, based on what you were just saying, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, at this point in juncture, who's still dying from this? Are What's the number of people still dying? I mean, how severe are we right now? I haven't really looked at that. And I'm just wondering, based on the fact this is all very treatable, we're now in a very mild uh, mutations of this, I would think, what is what is the death count right now? Do you have a, a concept of what that is? And 
what is the cause and reaction to this? You know, what's what's the danger I'm saying to folks right now? Well, there have been public utterances. I know our CDC director Walensky's been out on TV, been public utterances that there's between 400 and 600 U.S. deaths per day. Now, keep wow. in mind, uh, this has been previously adjudicated by the, the CDC when there's deaths that 10% are really due to the COVID pneumonia would be adjudicated that is the primary driver and that the other 90% would be you know, significant contributors or people dying who, who happen to test positive and die of a heart attack or heart failure uh, or sepsis, et cetera. Remember, someone uh, can intermittently test positive for many months after the most recent case. So, you know, of those in the hospital who are, quote, positive, uh, you know, about 10 percent is really COVID, the sickness. So so, so right now, that's you're saying that's still the case right now. Walensky says four to six hundred a day, four to six hundred a day. So what I'm saying is that's yeah. the total number. Right. It's probably 40 to 60. Right. Right. Really dying of COVID. So now people say, well, can you put that in context? Well, the answer would be there's more people dying of fentanyl overdoses, which yeah. is you know, really you know, a lethal problem mm-hmm. than there is of the totality of COVID right now. There's, there are more kind of standard causes of yeah. death than COVID. Uh, hospitals have been empty now. Um, you know, I have to tell you, as a practicing doctor, since January of 2022, I've had one person in the hospital, one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I'm suspecting. And uh, I'm just, uh, I'd like to say most everybody's treatable with this. I'm sure you might say that's true, but not everybody's out of the woods if they have, I guess, a serious amount of comorbidities or really um, challenging health, they could still be a pretty big risk by this, right? I mean, that's a fair statement. Right. And first case, and their first case, there are people who have been hunkering down for nearly three years now, and they haven't gotten it. And then boom, they get it. And, and I'm telling you, and I'm responding to those. Okay. And those, when it's the first case, we're really moving with the drugs. When it is a second or third case, uh, I, I honestly, I think it's virtually everybody can just go to local pharmacy and manage it themselves. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. So uh, this next one's from Melissa. Uh, what safety studies have been done on the new boosters formulated for the Omicron variants? And where can these studies be reviewed by the general public? None, none whatsoever, Malcolm. Okay. And would that be none whatsoever.com? You know. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, it was only approved based on yeah. the failed animal studies. Even the animals, uh, they got COVID, even if they got the boosters with the new variants. So they failed in animals. Yeah. They had a uh, antibody rise uh, that did not yeah. uh, correlate with a clinical response. So they failed in animals. They're expected to fail in humans. Yeah. Uh, there are no uh, safety studies, no idea to know if it's safe in humans, particularly this idea that now we're mixing and matching genetic code. It's not all homogeneous genetic code. That means the spike proteins are going to be heterogeneous spike proteins. This is really making people uneasy. And I can tell you that it is flopping. The, the numbers I'm hearing right now, unofficial, is maybe a 2% uptake of these boosters. Think about this. Think think about that. I mean, it's not lost on me what you say there. And and the fact that Melissa points out, I mean, a pretty innocent, honest question. What safety studies have been done on the new boosters formulated for this? And where can we see them? And that's a fair, honest question. And you immediately say uh, not, none whatsoever. Uh, and that's in itself pretty profound, isn't it? Even at this juncture. It is profound. It should never happen. There should never, we should never have any products go from an animal study into human use without going through prospective randomized 
placebo-controlled trials. They had plenty of time to do this. Remember, they promised these vaccines back in March, and they didn't appear. Then they had a vaccine against BA1, but it quickly mutated off BA1 to BA4 and BA5. Now, uh, BA4 and BA5 are on the way out, and we're seeing a couple of other minor variants come in. So many are predicting, even if these worked, they would quickly become obsolete, but they don't work to begin with. Right. That's, is, that's, and that's been a, a constant uh, theme we've been running and talking about for years now. Uh, they never worked from the beginning, let alone all this cover up of boosters and on top of boosters on top of boosters uh, and still no effect at all. It's 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 unconscionable, really, truly uh, unbelievable. Uh, Shirley says, uh, here's another one. Are the new vaccines more potent than before and can they kill us? They are less potent. Malcolm. So the vaccines have, the boosters have actually a lesser dose. So with Pfizer, Pfizer's dose, traditional dose was 30 micrograms of messenger RNA of the original Wuhan code. Now Pfizer's booster is still 30 micrograms, but it's 15 of the original Wuhan code and it's 15 of the code for BA4, BA5. Moderna is interesting. Moderna's actually dropped their booster to 50 micrograms overall. So it's going to be quantitatively less. And then it's going to be half 25 Wuhan strain and, and 25 BA4, BA5. But this is the reason why they needed human testing. How in the world could they know they could go with these, this lower dose in this blend? What's the purpose of even having the failed Wuhan code even in there? There's a lot of conjecture. One conjecture is they kept the original Wuhan code in there in part in order to say that it's a minor modification of the vaccine. It doesn't need full trials, like they're tweaking a flu shot. This isn't the case at all. Uh, they are trying to tackle a new variant of a novel virus, and America was owed clinical trials. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, bringing it to a head, this one is interesting uh, from Laura. She says, Dr. McCullough, <laughs> this is a pretty uh, profound statement. I think probably everybody agree with this. I don't trust the government. Uh, what are your thoughts on cell-based flu vaccines? Are they safe to take? My hospital is mandating the flu shot. You know, the flu shots have been traditionally uh, reasonably safe, uh, certainly far safer than a COVID-19 vaccine. The problem with the flu vaccines, Malcolm, is they have really bottomed out on efficacy. Last year, the number that was published in MMWR, the CDC journal for flu vaccine coverage was only 16%. That's abysmal. It's not even worth showing up for a shot unless you get at least 50% protection. That is so deeply below 50%. I think it's going to be a long time before they uh, they get any improvement on these. And not only that, uh, the, the flu shot that makes a lot of sense is the nasal mist, not the injection. Remember, there's never been an injection in the arm that work to protect anything in the sinuses and the respiratory tract. It's really going to be nasal mist. So, uh, you know, I can tell you my advice, pass, fill out an exemption and say you're going to pass on the flu shot. Uh, people are very, very um, upset. Uh, we've even heard news. Moderna's announced that they want to convert their, uh, they want to have a whole line of messenger RNA vaccines. Well, the messenger RNA vaccines bombed out for COVID. Can you imagine installing the genetic code for flu in the body and then having to contend with that whatever autoimmune problems that causes with that, I'd say forget yeah. it. Well, I said from the beginning, if you recall, uh, there's going to be uh, a lot of fallout from this. Uh, and uh, I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about now. In other words, what I mean by fallout is 
people are going to lose trust in the system. I mean, Laura's short statement and email is profound in the fact that, no, people don't trust the government. They're not going to. I mean, how would they? And then the basic average flu shot that people used to take for granted is no longer going to be acceptable. Do you remember I said that like a year ago, Peter? I mean, I, I knew it was going to happen. And here we are. And people are now going to push back on all this. And that's kind of to be expected, don't you think? It is. I just think it's interesting. I think we were bracing for, yeah. you know, a tripling and quadrupling down on this. And to see this crumbling, the one thing we've seen is that when something is dropped, it's really hard to reinstate. Remember when masks were dropped off airplanes? And remember when Biden said, I'm going to the DOJ and we're going to get these masks right back on the airplanes? Right. There was no way. Americans, you know, they grabbed that freedom back and said, forget it. And, and there was just no, no appetite to start wearing masks again on airplanes. Yeah. I think it's the same thing with these boosters and these vaccines. You drop it, there's going to be no appetite to, to reinstate these. The other thing, too, that I think everybody listening should go through this exercise. If your company mandates a vaccine, find out whose decision it was, who actually made the decision and stood behind it. Because I can tell you, if an executive decided tomorrow that the company was going to support breast cancer research, that 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 executive would be the first one to send out a newsletter or bulletin that he or she is responsible for this. Or if they were going to have a campaign to support multiple sclerosis, they'd be the first one. Who is the campaigner who's really behind these vaccine mandates? Uh, you know, you don't see anybody in companies stepping up and saying it was their idea. That's right. You know, I suspect we're not going to also. You know, um, I, I, I want people to know, I want listeners to know, and to the point of what we're speaking about here, uh, that uh, my brother, you said to me, oh, about a year and a half ago, roughly about the year, and you said, it, you repeated to me a couple of times, right in the heat of battle, and you said to me the words, you, you, I remember, so like it was yesterday, you said, Malcolm, we're going to be on the right side of history. You said we're going to be on the right side of the history. That was an echo in my in my mind, in in my soul. That I was realizing the fight at that point and how serious it was. Do you remember those moments? You know, I do because I have to tell you, since we're in a small group and every most people listening to us are in our circles, Malcolm. Yeah. You know, people have said we're dissidents or that we're apostate, that we're some type of small band of of brothers with a different way of thinking. We can't help at times go through the exercise and ask ourselves, are we off? Are we thinking incorrectly? Are we just, are we just, are we on the wrong side of history or are we on the right side? And now as all this information comes out, one piece of information after another, one admission by the CDC, WHO after another we are on the right side of history. Mm. I wanted to remind that point, and I'm so grateful to hear uh, what you say there, but also just grateful for this uh, this run and your um, your contributions because we couldn't have done this without you, uh, Peter. There's no way. Uh, just, I don't know, it's just like you've been a rock through all of it for so many, and you surely have been here for me and given the confidence for us to push forward on this network and platform with some very trying and troubling moments of information that was going against the grain and going against the populace and society and the, the you know, the bureaucrats and just, it was a full um, extreme. And I think it's a moment of reflection, brother. That's all I'm saying, you know? 
It's true. I, I have to tell you, when you when you see your entire government, the CDC, NIH, FDA, White House Task Force One and Two, two presidents, Trump and Biden, yeah. when you see them all behind it, uh, you know who in the world would step up and say, you know what, this doesn't look right. This 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 not it's not you know this is not going well. Who's going to do that? I you know I guess we were we were the ones chosen to do it to yes, make it go. Um- Yes, somehow. I think you're right. And uh, I I didn't really uh, advertise or ask for it. It just sort of happened. It was very organic and how things happened here at the platform, the network. It was obviously God's plan, all of this, uh, Peter. That's all I can say to you. I I don't really have any other answer. I don't know why. I don't know how and where the strength came from on all of it is is remarkable. I mean, to me, it's just it, it it hits me like you can't imagine. And to think of the heavy lifting we've been doing here for so long now on this platform, it's uh, by the grace of God, we've been able to uh, to deliver time again, even in the moments of hostilities and those who wish to do harm. Uh, we've we've taken the high road in all these cases. So I'm really, really grateful for that. And, uh, and you know, the other grateful thing, friends, is that we can help so many people out throughout this whole process. It's been such a gift. I'll tell you, if there's anything through this entire episode and exercise and this horrible situation we've been through, it's the gift of friendship and the gift of kinship and the gift of just beautiful people. And we've met so many on the journey here. And that's been the privilege of all of this. Uh, truly, uh, I, mean, I just can't put it any other way to you, uh, is the fact that we've been able to make an impact. That's a gift I'll never, ever forget, that we were here at the right time and we fought the good fight. Um, so... Uh, we're listening here on this Q&A number 38, uh, 38, 39. I tell you, I've got to keep the meter moving, kids. <laughs> 39 and uh, and counting and a whole lot of airtime that we've been putting the good word out there. Uh, so listen, throughout all of it, I've learned so much about health. And I, I would take a moment to tell you some of our strategic partnerships. Very brief, but I do want to mention to you, and I, I think um, both Peter and I would celebrate the, uh, you know, the power, the power of healthy cell. And they just happen to be here at the right time. Just, I, I don't know what else to say about it. They were here at the right time. And when you looked at what was in that immune super boost and you understood that it had vitamin C, vitamin D3, zinc, remember all of that early on, echinacea extract, elderberry extract. And it had all of those things compounded in a microgel, a nutraceutical that would make a difference. There's a new study out I'm going to be sharing with you all soon. In fact, I'm going to send it to Dr. McCullough and Dr. Ely as well and others. Uh, it's a new study where... Um, it shows the power of these microgels. It's a peer-reviewed study. It shows the power of the microgel and how it just absorbs into the body, uh, bar none, uh, and uh, completely will revolutionize from the traditional vitamin pill or tablet that a lot of us didn't like to take to begin with. This is very, very cool stuff. Uh, so they have a whole host of products, and a lot of them fit to the long COVID stuff we've been talking about. Brain fog, focus and recall. I take that every day. God knows I need it uh, to keep all this running. And then uh, REM sleep. I know you like REM sleep a lot. I don't take that every day. Now, you, I think you say every day is the way to take that one. I take it every now and then. I don't know why, but you 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 like that product. I do. You know, I take it um, on an as-needed basis, but so many of my patients chronically have sleep problems. And one thing I know about sleep when it's a chronic problem is to go ahead and do things very consistently, schedule sleep consistently, go to bed at the same time, and then take the healthy cell REM sleep supplement consistently. And for sleep cycles, it takes 30, 60, 90 days to get them rectified. For me, I take it more on an as-needed basis 
Um, I do too. Yeah. You know, but I'm not someone, I don't characterize myself as a poor sleeper, but if someone who does feel like a poor sleeper, I think every day is the way to go. Yeah. Dr. H says you got to have seven hours a day. Do you get seven hours a day? You know, you're supposed to schedule 8.2. That's the average for people our age, midlife, yeah. Malcolm. You know, uh, the average person is actually sleep deprived. And, and you know, do you know how you know that? Yeah. Go on an airplane and at 11 o'clock in the morning, in the seats, strapped in, bolt upright, look at how many people are sleeping. It's about a third of the plane. And, and that's a that's diagnostic of sleep deprivation. If you fall asleep at 11 o'clock in the morning on a plane, you're chronically sleep deprived. All right. All right. So listeners, you get 25% off. It's a new, uh, it's, it's amazing. They've got a, um, this is only America Out Loud listeners. Uh, that That is for certain, that, that negotiation of that 25% off. We wanted something terrific to be able to bring back to our uh, family of listeners and our friends here. Uh, so that's the deal. Use the code out loud and you get that on any of the products there on your first order there on uh, uh, the uh, healthycell.com forward slash out loud. Or again, as always, the, the sponsored banner ads are very well positioned back at America Out Loud, but they don't violate your uh, your brain. I mean, they're right. You know, you don't have to click all the X's and all the nonsense that happened with uh, a lot of these new sites, but they are very handy right there. A lot of the wonderful relationships we have with these awesome products so check that out healthycell.com forward slash out loud uh and a lot of studies research look it up for yourself but begin a new life with these uh nutraceuticals these micro gels are absolutely incredible uh malcolm Malcolm, can i ask a question so for these all the products and on the banner bar when they click does the person automatically get the discount or do they need to remember the promo code? They absolutely do get it. Once you click the banner ad at America, that's a great question, Peter. And once you click that banner ad, it automatically knows, it memorizes who you are. And even if you come back an hour or two later, you will get the discount. Yes, sir. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So it, it's it's tug, it's right in there and it will remember you. So uh, and you will get the discount as long as you're on the same unit to computer. Now, if you go to a whole nother computer, that's a different animal, as you can imagine, friends. But yeah, uh, there you won't even need to use that code. You'll get the discount of that 25 percent off uh, without question. So that's the way to do that. And by the way, as we pause here, I just will mention I'm so glad that Dr. Peter McCullough said midlife and didn't call uh, he and I elderly that we were just midlife. I feel <laughs> so much. Yeah. Exactly. I feel so much better. I was afraid of where he was going with that. I will take a quick pause, my fellow Americans, and we'll join you just on the other side here. You're listening to America Out Loud Pulse. This is Dr. Peter McCullough. Do you know there's no other condition that I'm aware of where vitamins and supplements make such a big difference than COVID-19? We have an abundance of data that we need to be replete with a variety of micronutrients, and that includes vitamins, minerals, and other substances our bodies need. I rely on Healthy Cell Super Boost. That's immune super boost. It's a a gel pack that can be taken every day. I like to do it before I exercise and before I go out. It's a wonderful supplement. It gives me the immune super boost that I need. Go to HealthyCell.com, use the promotional code OUTLOUD, and get a discount on your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. 
Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Welcome back to America Out Loud. Paul Sitters, Malcolm Out Loud here along with Dr. Peter McCullough. And this is Q&A 38. What an engage 39, 39. I, I, my meter didn't move again. Second time I did that to you, right? This is Q&A 39. And I got to tell you, what an engaging conversation up front of the program. If you just joined us or a little bit later, go back and rewind that to when it goes to podcast. You definitely want to listen into the opening sequence of this broadcast. Uh, it was some incredibly engaging conversation between uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and yours truly here. Uh, I just feel like we uh, accomplished a few things there. So get, give a listen to that if you if you missed it. And let's get on with more of the questions now here. This one's from David. Um, now, this is interesting. And I, 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 I've heard this, but I didn't know all this to connect the dots. But anyways, let me throw this at you. He says, not sure if you're aware, there are members on the board of Quest Laboratories, who are top health system executives who have all promoted the entire COVID cabal and mandated coerced experimental gene treatments on their employees. This is well, this is well, they profited personally to the tune of many millions and millions of dollars. I personally do not recommend Quest Labs. Now, I, again, I didn't connect those dots, uh, Dr. McCullough. What do you think about that? You know what, Malcolm, I can tell you, you know, we've been banging away on the vaccines, but there's an entire other sector that profited massively from COVID, and that's in vitro diagnostics, including Quest, LabCorp, Orthoclinical Diagnostics, Roche, Abbott. These are the big IVD players, and there was a massive amount of testing, massive. And these companies are for-profit companies. Uh, they're bought and sold uh, on, on stock exchanges, and the executives have certainly leveraged executive bonus packages, and they made out very well. And it sounds like it's rubbing salt in the wound to go ahead and turn around and mandate the vaccine uh, in, in a cir circumstance where the executives are receiving uh, such incredible bonuses. You know, don't you find it interesting that healthcare systems, which also mandate the vaccines, they have executive bonus systems and they benefited from countermeasure funding, just like the IVD companies. And then companies that didn't have any COVID relief, probably like Starbucks, they didn't mandate a, va a, ma a vaccine at all. Isn't that interesting? It is indeed. And so David is right to point that out, isn't he? Yeah. He is. Yeah. All right. I mean, I hadn't looked at it that way, but I, I was very um, intrigued with his comment there. I thought we should share it there. All right. This one's from John. My son. 
is 11 years old. He got COVID um, at the beginning of May. Now he will have his annual doctor's appointment and is scheduled to have several vaccine shots. Okay, here we go. I heard the spike protein will stay in the COVID patient. Will the spike protein thing impact the vaccine reaction? Should I postpone my son's normal vaccine injection this time? Your thoughts? Trying to think at what age, what's coming up. And I think what's coming up is the, is the meningococcal vaccine. You know, with all the autoimmunity problems we've seen with COVID, the respiratory illness, my uh, judgment would be to defer on vaccines at this point in time. Let's let a year or two go by. Uh, you know, advancing the meningococcal vaccine to age 12 is not a major advance. Just a few years ago, the kids used to get it right before college. Is usually the college dormitory is the risk for meningococcemia. So uh, my judgment just preliminarily would be to defer on these. I hate to see some autoimmune problem begin to creep in. Uh, everything we've seen with COVID, the respiratory illness, it does seem to set up the body for atherosclerotic cardiovascular events, autoimmunity. I'm seeing these in my practice. And the problem is you take a vaccine. Now you don't know if it's, if it's COVID as, you know, as a background condition you know, with the vaccine or is it the vaccine de novo? So I think it'd be wise given all the uncertainty to defer for a year. No harm in doing so. Yeah, I am. I am so, so thrilled to hear you say what you just say. I wasn't sure what your answer was going to be, although I, I, I my sense is what you said is very accurate. I, I think it's time to be um, let a little time go by now and be cautionary here. So I'm so pleased you put that out there in the way you did. It's a wonderful answer to that. Uh, quandary there that John asked. And I want to just remind everybody listening, this is for educational purposes. We cannot take a personal case on and look at all the nuances that go on with that. You have to rely on your own physician friends or your own. So as always, please understand these are for educational purposes that we do this for a wide swath of our fellow Americans and our friends around the globe. Um, please understand your personal situations. You must go to your own doctors, your own situations and find the answers. Okay. It's important. We keep that uh, fear and honest out there for everybody. This next one's from Armando. Uh, he says, how long does it take for the vaccine spike protein and lipid nanoparticles leave the body? After they leave, are there any unreversible injuries to organs, tissues, etc.?" The answer is no one knows. Uh, the two points of reference come from the same authors, Bruce Patterson. The spike protein, which is the product from the messenger RNA from the respiratory illness, severe cases in the body for 15 months, the spike protein from the vaccine in the body at least for three to six months or longer. Bruce Patterson on the McCullough Report thinks it's going to be the same duration over a year, and it's more spike protein and it's more intact spike protein, both the S1 and S2 with vaccination compared to infection. Now the lipid nanoparticles and messenger RNA, I've quoted the paper uh, earlier, Fertig and colleagues published in Biomedicines, at least two weeks of circulatory uh, lipid nanoparticles and messenger RNA, and now in this HANA paper, at least five days into breast milk. So these are the, the data points we have. Uh, we simply don't know if this stuff gets out of the body. We're just, we're just finding out how long does it last. Yeah, amen. Uh, Karen asks, uh, what is your advice on post-COVID fatigue? You know, post-COVID fatigue is common. It is probably due to residual uh, virus in the system and inflammation. 
I divide it into whether or not there actually is symptoms of an indolent infection, like intermittent fever, sweats, swollen lymph nodes, uh, sore throat, anything like that. There is a protocol out of Yale where in that case, actually patients go on ivermectin for six weeks, daily ivermectin for six weeks. When we tell people, listen, you have to get your own you know, order of this, order it online and go on for six weeks in order to, in a sense, kind of finish off this virus. It's almost like treating residual uh, Borrelia burgdorferi in, in Lyme syndrome. But if it's just fatigue, no fever, no signs or symptoms of infection, my go-to combination now is quercetin or quercetin, 500 milligrams twice a day, and N-acetylcysteine, 600 milligrams twice a day, based on some preliminary emerging data, lots of exercise, fresh air, and try to power through it. All right. All right. Um, this next one here is from Nancy. Um, let me see if we can, it's a little more complex. Let me uh, put this out here. My fa- father is 86 years old and in relatively very good health, exercises regularly, eats well, takes very few medications, not overweight. He was hospitalized with COVID for a week in uh, August of 2020. Wow. That was uh, early on there. Uh, I, I sought help from doctors I found through Texas Senator Bob Hall and began following you at that time. Okay. Thankfully, he recovered. My mother tested positive at the time, but with very few symptoms. My dad's been vaxxed and boosted once. He got COVID again May 2022, just recent now, that is, after after air travel, after air travel. Okay. My mother did not, in spite of close contact with him. We were able to get him the monoclonal antibody, and he felt better within 24 hours. My question is, he had Omicron, but not a full case uh, to the monoclonal antibody. Now, he and my mother are asking if they should take the Omicron, uh, the uh, the new uh, bivalent uh, boosters there, the ones we've been talking about. My gut, based on everything I listen to your programs, is no. But I feel uncertain about particularly my father's immunity status due to taking the antibody. I'm not sure how to advise them. Can you give me your opinion on these, particularly for vulnerable seniors? I would give a strong no on this, Malcolm. And my concern is this accumulating spike protein. So I, as I, in this case, I count up five exposures to the spike protein three from vaccines, and two from COVID-19. That's a lot. That's a lot. And the body's got to clear all this stuff out. So to take more boosters, again, boosters that failed in animal studies, no assurances on human data, uh, I I would say no. Every successive illness ought to be milder. Uh, If he has it again or his, his wife has it again, it should be able to be treated now with oral drugs and get through the illness uh, and let the body recover. But this body's loaded with five doses of spike protein. Okay. Uh, this one's from Connie. I am wondering if you could please tell me if there are any COVID vaccines approved in the United States of America. I'm told by my health departments there is. Very hard to find this information. God bless you. Thank you. None are FDA approved. They're all emergency use authorized. Moderna and Pfizer have biological licensing agreement letters which says they can get a biological licensing agreement if they write a full package insert, they disclose more data, and they commit to studying myocarditis. When that happens and they get full FDA approval, they actually will get an approved package insert, which will go into the product, and then the product will no longer be emergency use authorized. It'll be fully approved. And when it's fully approved, then then it'll have to be you know, bought and sold by insurances or you'll be charged on your credit card for this. Uh, so right now it's still emergency use authorized. 
The government is buying it under the emergency use authorization and the government's offering it for free. But all that changes when it gets fully FDA approved. But right now, none are fully FDA approved. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. You, you don't, do you expect that to happen, for FDA approval at any point? No, I, I don't think. It, it, I mean, we've been, we're now more than a year exactly. from when the companies got the biological license agreement letters, the BLA, and they haven't shown any interest in committing to these studies. They haven't shown any interest in moving this along because the products are already pre-purchased. They have no motivation to try to get fully FDA approved. Well, listen, right, that's done. And also, I mean, they've also been a failure. Wouldn't that be the other reason? Yeah, they, they couldn't get through a traditional FDA approval process, although everything seems to be off the rails right now. All right. That's a good point, though. I mean, as to why they're not and still not. Uh, this next one is uh, interesting. Tom says, so my wife is currently laying in a hospital bed suffering from Tansvir's my, myelitis, myelitis, is it? She had the initial double dose of the Moderna shot a year, about a year ago, but no boosters. Is there a possibility that she's vaccine injured from this? Almost certainly she is. You know, transverse myelitis has been described with vaccines in one of the big uh, press releases for vaccine injured that Ron Johnson chaired up in Minnesota. There was a doctor who had transverse myelitis after taking the vaccines, which is a partial paralysis. So the answer is yes, I, I think almost certainly it is. Now, the good news is, uh, despite very limited publication on this and no federal government acknowledgement, it's been my observation that these neurologic syndromes slowly improve over time. Lots of rehab, lots of rehab, let the body clear this out and repair, and, and hopefully it's not permanent paralysis. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the lawyers are going to be very busy in the months and years ahead, is my guess. But um, Leslie says a tremor in my left thumb began a couple of weeks after my first of third Pfizer vaccines and has now graduated to my left arm resembling Parkinson's. Could this be a vaccine injury? I was so fearful of COVID. I didn't associate the tremor earlier and avoid uh, more vaccines as I likely should have. But again, she had the initial um, and this is going to keep coming up, this kind of a thing, but we don't really know. Could be, though. Yeah. couple of points. If there was a tremor at baseline, like maybe a little head tremor or a hand tremor, what we call a benign intention tremor, we know that the vaccine can certainly accentuate that. Um, and so that would be the type of tremor where it's difficult to hold a cup of coffee and the coffee just kind of, you know, you hold it by the handle and it, it shoots all over the place. Uh, that would be an example. If it's Parkinson's, Parkinson's could be forming, but Parkinson's is a different tremor. It's called a pill rolling tremor where you almost take the forefinger and the thumb and you put like a pill between it and the hand is constantly in this rhythmic um, motion. And with Parkinson's, the at the elbow, it's rigid. So, so if you actually just try to passively put the elbow through flexion and extension, it, it actually cogwheels. It's called cogwheel rigidity. The other thing with Parkinson's is a shuffling gait. So if this person can stride down the street fine and, and, and there's no cogwheeling and it's just this accentuated tremor, I think it probably is vaccine related. And again, my experience is it gets better. If it's Parkinson's and it's the other features I mentioned, it's going to get worse. Okay. All right. That's uh, some good information for you, uh, Leslie. Uh, last one here from Kathy. Are you actually recommending Paxlovid to treat COVID? Paxlovid uh, is in the McCullough protocol. We added it when it was emergency use authorized. It is a choice of antivirals. 
I've been very careful to give the proviso that the CDC has a health advisory on it in terms of Paxlovid rebound. Uh, it is a choice out there for patients. Uh, the antiviral layer is still overemphasized in the United States. People want to hyperfocus on hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, Paxlovid, or molnupirvir. It's overemphasized, and it's a little preview for this week's McCullough Report. I have the longest interview so far I've ever had. I went down to Central America, and I interviewed Eugenia Barentios, and she is another innovator. She's treated thousands of cases, Malcolm, wow. no antiviral. Doesn't oh. use ivermectin, hydroxy, or Paxlovid or Molnupirvir, just like uh, Dr. Chetty in South Africa. So I wanted to hear how she did it. You got to tune in this weekend to the McCullough Report, and she'll tell you how it's done. But oh, the antivirals cool. are overemphasized in the United States, and, we, and she makes the case that we should have been focusing on inflammation and thrombosis. Wow. I'm so glad that came off the program. I didn't realize that you're, you're going to have a big hot program this week again. That's, that's really cool. And you went all, you went way out of your way for this one, huh? I tell you, McCullough report, I've been around the world. That's the advantage of yeah. zoom. I wish I was actually on site. And prior to COVID, I was a world traveler. I'd been to all these places, but there's no substitute for meeting people face to face, going into their clinic and seeing what they did. And, and when travel gets back up, I, I'm going to make a list and, and and be calling on some friends over the next few years. Yeah, and uh, the McCullough Report plays Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, and there's an encore at 7 p.m., 2 and 7, Saturday, Sunday. And, uh, of course, you can hear that on the iHeartRadio network, our apps on Apple, Android, Alexa, the, the media play. If you just click the Listen Live back at America Out Loud, it's fantastic. It works on any web browser in the world. And we're on a whole lot of networks, but uh, America Out Loud talk radio, friends. Okay, okay, And then all the shows go to podcast, of course, here. Uh, what a fantastic program. Uh, really terrific. Uh, got so much out of this. And I, I just really want to leave you with this uh, last message from another listener. I don't know, but I really appreciate her comments. Jess. And she says this. Thank you so much, Dr. Peter McCullough, Malcolm, and the many professionals in your circle for your bravery and cor courageous uh, for sharing the truth. I'm thankful and for knowing the truth. Uh, it removed my fear for COVID-19 and also you all having saved so many lives um, uh, further from these genetic products. With this good karma, you all would always be blessed with great health. Amen. Amen to that, Jess. Thank you for writing in on that beautiful comment. God bless you and thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you, friends, for being with us on the mission here and listening on America Out Loud Pulse. Always. I'll be a bit.